Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are but dust. We are weak and weary. Uh, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, this is a long passage, but I'm still asking you to stand if you would, and we'll read it, and then uh, we'll see what it has to say. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also, so also you have joy, sorrow now, sorry. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, oh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You may be seated. The last place I preached was Trinidad. That's been a couple years, so. Hope I'm not too rusty. I went to a, a funeral yesterday. The funeral was for my sister-in-law. Uh, she uh, fell sick here uh, just recently and passed pretty quickly. Uh, we had a great time seeing the family. Uh, it's a shame that we have to gather at these kind of events, uh, but it's also a, a quite a joy to be with the family, especially in the time of uh, loss. Uh, but being the critical person that I am, I found problems with the preacher. So I pray you don't find any problems with me this morning. 
Hey, preach it, man. So, so what was funny is, is the young man uh, added a few extra stories. Uh, and again, the, crit the critic in me, uh, I'm so terrible, uh, he gave the gospel, don't, no, no question, it was wonderful. And, and, and I had to sit and, and ask God, please help me, because, you know, I just want to go up and criticize the guy, which is not good. So uh, God was faithful, and he, he kept me from opening my mouth in the wrong way, but I did go to the young man and say, thank you for opening the scriptures. Thank you, because what Al has to say is of no consequence, but what the scriptures say or God's voice himself. So this morning, we're going to look at a few of these disappointments and hopes that we have in the Christian life. We're going to look at two Old Testament saints, uh, Job and Solomon, and from the New Testament, we'll look at Paul. And again, we're going to examine some of their disappointments, their failures, uh, their messes, and yet we will look in what, to, what they were looking to in, in their hope. Uh, I have a caution to give also. I'm going to give that later, but, but just be ready for a little caution. And uh, then, of course, we'll, we'll be diving headlong as off the cliff into hope. So, let me give you this one. Blessed is the man that expects nothing for he shall never be disappointed. I'll read it again. Blessed is the man that expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. We recognize that's not scripture, okay? So don't get that wrong. So reality is we all have our expectations. And logic dictates we will all be disappointed because we have expectations. But this disappointment is a clear indicator that we're looking at the world correctly. For some reason, humans, we have these dreams, dreams of better days. Just as in Adam all have sinned and death has come to all men, and we've inherited from Adam also a memory a dream of better days, of walking with God in the cool of the evening. And now these memories, these expectations that we have are right, but they're marred. They're marred by our sinful flesh, this side of glory. Reality constantly fails to match the Eden we inhabit in our brains. We ponder our situations. Should have been like this. That preacher should have said that. He should have done it this way. She shouldn't have been that way. Why did this happen? What went wrong? And then the ultimate, why am I still this way? And we cry out, how long, O oh Lord? We, along with the Apostle Paul, continue to cry out, listen, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, for I do not do the good I want, 
but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep doing. Our disappointments are accurate or an accurate response to the disappointing world that we inhabit. Let's visit with Job. We just saw, we just read that. Carl read it for it. It was wonderful. Thank you, Carl. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Remember what it was there. It's in your bulletin if you want to look. In verse 8, God speaks to Satan. You get the, get the order there. Satan didn't come accusing. God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant, Job? I love that because we have ownership. Job is God's servant. But Satan responds, Yeah, but have you not put a hedge around him and his household and all that he has on every side? And the Lord responds in verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. We know the story. We know the conclusion. We know what it says. Satan takes Job's property, his flocks, his herds, and all his children. Listen to Job in his response to this calamity. In uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is poetry now. And I'm not a poet, but I like this. Listen to what Job says. All these things have happened to him, right? And he says, Let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, A man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse today, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the door of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? He wants the day not to exist that he was born. He wants it to all go away. And we all experience these same feelings to varying degrees wherever you are in your life. And I say to the young people, if not yet, prepare. These tragedies will come. These disappointments will be yours. In Romans 8.22, we have Paul. He describes the creation groaning in pains of childbirth. And we ourselves groan also along with the creation. And in this groaning, it is surely a sign of our expecting more. Our hope for more. 
So we, 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 make, we raise this question, how are these de- disappointments manifested in our own lives today? So we'll, we'll talk about it a bit. We'll see what they look like. We all know broken homes, failed careers, health problems, good plans gone bad, adult children making bad decisions, situations full of uncertainty, or maybe, maybe this. I'm going to pause for a moment, take a little drink. It's for dramatic effect. <laughs> or maybe you've attained all of the, your goals, all of them. You've got your PhD. You've got the job you want. You have all the toys. You've got it all. But they fail. They simply fail to deliver. They don't deliver happiness, contentment, and joy. It's hollow, a chasing after the wind. First Kings, we're going to look at Solomon. First Kings chapter 3. Solomon, everyone knows Solomon. Let's see what Solomon had. Verse 3, I mean chapter 3, verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. He also says, I give you what you have not asked for, riches and honor. Riches and honor. All that he asked for, plus riches and honor. Solomon was a great king. He did great things. He had it all, or so it seemed. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon responds. To, this is at the end of his life, after he has done all these accomplishments. Peace in the land. Gardens galore. Palaces. Here's how he responds. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. 
Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by the, all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Solomon's response. The wisest man who accomplished all these things. All is vanity, a chasing after the wind. The world, this world, does not provide satisfaction. It hasn't the ability. So Mick was right. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> Here's the caution. I want to lay this out for you. As we go through these disappointments of ours, we have to recognize that these disappointments are common to all mankind. To think my disappointments are a greater burden to me than yours are to you can quickly lead to self-pity. We must caution ourselves. We are believers. As believers, we mourn with each other. We help carry each other's burdens. We don't weigh them. I put them on the scale. Oh, mine's, mine's bigger than yours. Mine weighs more than you. We don't compare them. We come alongside each other. We help carry them. We comfort one another. And we try to reconcile whatever the problem might be. But our typical response to our disappointments, I know how I respond. Can't believe this. It's the first thing out of my mouth when I heard that my sister-in-law had passed. I can't believe this. Hadn't seen her for a while. I don't want this. I can't handle this. What do I want? I want an immediate return to the garden. I want to get back to the garden. I don't want to be trained in patience and righteousness. But remember Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I like to do that. It helps me. Visual. Take heart. i got to take hold of my heart. Remember that He has overcome the world. The world's a mess. And we are also messes. What's that I hear? Enough. Enough. We've heard, we've heard enough of us being messes. And we have. I don't have to say that enough. We've already heard. So let's jump into this hope. Let's, let's go headlong into it, okay? It's a sure hope. It's a hope that does not disappoint because it cannot. We mentioned Adam and his failing in the garden. 
failing to be the overseer of his wife, failing to be the overseer of the garden, of the creation. But God, in his kindness, his mercy, his wisdom, calls to Adam, his son, in his sin, and he says, where are you? That's kind of a strange question that God asks. He don't know? He calls us also in our sin. And he says to us, where are you? And again, does he not know? Of course he knows. But he calls us in our sin back to himself, seeking us out as a father seeks his children, mercifully and gently. We recognize that God is the first cause of all things. He calls us back. He calls us back with promises of hope, glory, promises of sin redeemed, promises of overcoming these tribulations that we walk in. And how? By walking with us through them. These valleys full of the shadow of death. So that we can say with Job in his lament, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. With our Savior also, Christ Himself on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in His despair, Christ knows His God is His Father and that He is returning to Him. Luke 23, verse 46, on the cross. Father, into Your hands I commend my spirit. I like this verse, Jesus said, I give eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When we look at Paul, the apostle and his hope, remember we just heard him and he was fussing with himself, oh my goodness. Where was Paul's hope? Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This is pastor's favorite word. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What wonderful, full of wonder. I like to switch it. Wonderful, you know, we use that word a lot. Throw it around. Full of wonder. That helps me because I, I have to wonder about things. And it's, this, is, this grace is full of wonder. Grace that God in Christ has given to us. 
that we should be called children of God, heirs alongside of Christ, co-heirs of the kingdom, holy, blameless, chosen before the foundation of the world, adopted sons and daughters, given redemption through His blood, given forgiveness of trespasses, given grace lavished upon us, spilling over. I used this in the first service. I don't, didn't seem to go over, but that's all right. It doesn't matter to me. When I look at the word, when I look at the word lavished, I, I like that word. But I think of it as if, now let's pretend I got a bucket of honey. Okay, honey. And I pick it up and I pour it over the top of me. And it runs down, but it sticks. It's all, you know, all over me. That's the lavish. <laughs> grace lavished upon us. Spilling over. This grace is spilling over so that when I go over to the, to the public uh, supermarket, it's flowing over there. People are seeing it. It's coming off of me. And then I go over to uh, the... To the inlet and surf. And the boys see it coming off. And usually they paddle away. <laughs> but it will come off of us. Because it's spilling over. He fills us up to the point of spilling over. I got, I got a little lost there, but that's okay. Spilling over. And sealed... With the promised Holy Spirit, who gives faith that does not perish. This is the end of the matter. All has been said. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Did the preacher comprehend all that is contained in this verse? I don't know. But we know. We know. Because of the completion of the Scripture, and by the Holy Spirit's illumining, that this truth has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our substitutionary atonement, who feared God, kept His commandments on our behalf. The one who stood and still stands in our place, whose blood covers our sin, who lived a perfect life to the Father in our place, whose perfect obedience is imputed, credited to my account. So we have the account sheet. Got my name up there. And it's covered by Jesus' account. Covered. He reigns in glory. He intercedes on behalf of us. He will come again. This is our hope. It's an everlasting hope that cannot fade. It's kept in heaven. It will come to pass. And nothing can thwart our God. Or the hope of the things to come in Christ Jesus. This is our hope. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Jesus said. I have overcome the world. This is our hope. Christ Jesus is our hope. Uh, let's pray. Father again that you would apply these truths to uh, our hearts and minds. Uh, by your spirit, uh, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.